Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the CFD's weekly podcast. This week, I am joined by Tim Sunderland. Tim is the founder of Mito Markets. Uh, Mito Markets is a is a small broker that Tim founded, and I'm actually pretty excited to have Tim on just because I think that what he's done is is very interesting, uh, and you know, it's, it's he's kind of gone through the whole startup journey since founding the company. So I figured we could we could basically talk about that. So Tim. Thanks very much for joining me. And um, yeah, can you talk a bit about yourself and, and the company just for people who, who are listening who aren't familiar with you? Yeah, sure. Uh, hello. Thank you for the lovely introduction. Um, first and foremost, I want to just ask you a question. The title of the podcast, CFD, CFDs Weekly, incredibly brave. I'm surprised you haven't had like an FCA SWAT team just rush through your door, take away the logo, turn it into like a black cigarette packet and just sort of ban everything. It's quite, quite ballsy. Where did, where, where did that sort of come about? Yeah, it's an interesting question, actually. I mean, I think since I started doing CFDs Weekly, it's, it's been something that oddly crops up a lot. And I've never really understand the reticence of a lot of people in the industry to just talk about the product they offer. I think you have this sort of history of of uh, people calling it forex, just because I think you have two strands of this of the industry, right? Where you have the the kind of origin of, of of it being in the UK and evolving out of spread betting, and then you have this other part which kind of really evolved out of the US and Israel, where it was like forex trading. Uh, so people like to call it forex trading, even though actually most of the time it's like, well, most of the stuff you offer is CFDs trading. I have thought about renaming it actually to something a bit more exciting, you know, like retail trading news. Um, but then the RT abbreviation uh, was was kind of taken. So um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I I didn't plan on it continuing this long, but it kind of has, and maybe I should change it at some point. But I just haven't yet. Don't get me wrong. I I love the title. It's you know exactly what you're about to listen to and stuff like that. And it's just I just thought it was interesting because. The FCA are obsessed still with CFDs and the regulation around it. Um, you know, we all still have to put that notice on our website that says, you know, 67% of people lose their money, blah, blah, blah. You will be repossessed and you will die, all the rest. And um, interestingly, I actually looked on Ladbrook's website before to see if they had any sort of similar notices. And, and, and no, they don't. But I guess it's that sort of notion that you're not betting, even though it says spread betting or CFDs. Um, and yeah, I just find like CFDs, they're certainly from my end, they're becoming less and less popular. And I'm finding clients are just sort of moving into options now, which is kind of quite a, an interesting sort of change of trading mentality, I suppose. But yeah, no, just very curious as to the, the name CFDs. I thought it was very brave indeed. <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting you say that because that's actually a trend that I have kind of been keeping my eye on and, and been wondering about just because anecdotally, you know, I was at the stockbroker as well, and I, I saw that there was a skepticism among younger people around CFDs. Again, it was always anecdotal, uh, but that there was appetite for like, sort of equity options. I think that was really like a phenomenon during the meme stock boom. But yeah, I mean, the regulator does hate them. I don't think that will change. Um, I think the UK is maybe a bit more unique just because it has spread this spread betting background. And so, you know, it's a product that was originally regulated as gambling. So I don't know if that changes the regulator, the way the regulator thinks about it or the way people think about it. I would say definitely for older people, you know, people in my parent our parents' generation think of it more as like a gambling product, which maybe is actually a good thing. I don't know. 
Um, but anyway, Mito Markets. What is Mito Markets? What can you tell us about it? Yeah, of course. Um, Mito Markets, uh, multi-asset uh, retail trading uh, service provider, if you like. Uh, futures, options, FX, CFDs, equities, ETFs, ETPs. I mean, anything and everything. Um, if it's listed, we'll have it, which is which is brilliant. Um, and this, I guess this was all born slightly out of frustration with the industry a little bit, um, the sort of stockbroking culture somewhat. And to give you a little bit of background, I don't come from a high academic background. I sort of had to start at uh, a small, what they would say, boutique firm, in other words, crap, <laughs> and, and work up the industry. So I've always been stuck in that kind of uh, second division of of brokerages, which is which is fine, but they're not necessarily the best places to work for. And generally speaking, um, I was kind of just getting fed up with the business model of high service and high ticket price. You know, if you call up a traditional broker per se, I think you'll be charged fifty quid to sort of place a trade over the phone, which I just thought was obscene. Um, so it was actually my last job. I started to kind of trial out a high service, low cost model. And it worked an absolute treat, um, providing there are volumes and stuff like that. And, you know, you get you get good flow coming through. But it kind of really it was the first time in my stockbroking career where people were coming to me and saying, oh, yeah, I just want to set up an account. And I'm sort of just seeing applications come through left, right and centre. So naturally, I thought, yeah, I've really kind of struck a sweet spot here. And when I set up Mito Market, I, I thought, naively, I thought there would be a bit of a, a move up from, say, People on the apps, this sort of game style trading apps, wanting maybe more service but but less cost, and that wasn't the case at all. They are sort of absolutely honed in on the fact that it's supposedly commission free. But what I am seeing, it's like a lot of um, people coming from the more traditional high end brokers. I won't name names who are like, "Wow, I'm paying sort of fifty quid to place a trade over the phone with these guys, or five quid with Mito Markets," and it's they still get a super duper level of service, but they're just not being charged through the nose. Um, and yeah, so that that's kind of how it was created. Um, and I, I think in the lead up to this, I was just getting fed up with, with the industry. I think um, I had two firms default on my wages. Um, and then I think a couple of firms try and sue me because they always have these non-compete clauses. And it was the last one. I actually started what I thought was a really good job and then within an hour of starting, uh, there was uh, legal letters came through saying I was in breach of a non-compete clause of a firm that had closed down, which is ridiculous. And they said, well, we're going to have to let you go. I thought, fuck this. <laughs> I'm just going to... That was the straw that broke the camel's back. And I set up Mito Market. Went to um bank, got a, a business loan for £50,000. And I sort of made a, a pack for myself. thought, let's try and change this industry and sort of make it for the better, I suppose. So that's how... That's how Mito Markets came about. Love stockbroking, just hate stockbrokers. So <laughs> do it in my own in my own fashion. So just to clarify, when you say you were charging fifty quid or whatever it was for people to execute a trade, uh, were these institutions that were coming to you for brokerage services, or was this private investors like retail clients? Yeah, yeah, retail, retail traders. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which I think is it's disgusting. So you would. Um, the sort of mid or lower league of stockbroking, you often have either quite often advisory and you'll charge them 1.75% to be able to place a trade. That's 175 quid 
for a 10 grand trade. Um, in, out, plus, you know, a ticket charge. You're looking at sort of three and a half, four percent to go in and out of a 10 grand trade. And I thought this, this, this is not sustainable. These people are never going to make money. Um, so with the Mito Markets thing, it's a hybrid model. You have access to an online portal. You trade away. Um, and then you've also got access to an actual qualified trader who can sort of be on hand from UK opening hours to US closing hours. And if you do need to pick up the phone and place a trade, we're not going to make a markup on that. It's still five quid, five dollars, five euros. So it's I kind of created it around what I wanted. I, I like to have online access, but I just I hate chatbots. I hate sort of frequently asked questions. I want to actually have access to a human being. And it was just driving me mad. So very selfishly, it, it's sort of creating what I would perceive to be the best kind of overall stockbroking service. So um, yeah, uh, and and it seems we're sort of actually sort of seeing a lot of business move over from that more traditional model rather than upselling from the commission-free guys. Um, and yeah, so far so good. I think we've got accounted. Yes, yeah, so we've got clients across thirty-eight countries now. So I'm I'm amazed by the progress. So I'm really really happy with it. So one of the things I'm actually kind of interested in, and um, you know, this is more for for our audience who are really sort of on the B two B side rather than retail, um, is just how you structured your company, right? Because if you look in the CFD space. Most people that want to start a broker will go to some random offshore location because it's the most cost, most cost-effective uh, way to to set up a company today. Just because it's so expensive to say, I think like you know, if you just want to get the regulatory license in the UK, uh, you know, the application process alone can be like tens of thousands of pounds. It's, it can take months, maybe even up to like a year to to get it. Um, my understanding is that you you sort of structured things in a different way, where you're almost like an appointed representative of another company. So you're you're operating with your own brand, but the regulatory umbrella, if you like, is another firm's. Um, and yeah, I just wonder if you can talk about that, just because I think most people in this in the CFD world think that the only way you can set up somewhere like the UK is is with is is you know to go through the long licensing process, whereas that's actually not really the case. Yeah, pretty much. It's 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 it's. I'm under what's called uh, a trading. I'm a trading name of a bigger firm, and there's kind of there's three routes. If you're setting up a brokerage, there's three kind of routes you can go down. You can set up your own firm from scratch and apply for um, a fifty grand FCA license. It's didn't go down that route because a it's expensive. You have to sort of set aside fifty grand capital buffer ahead of compliance. Could be an eighty grand salary, uh, London office, and it, the, the cost just spiral, and it takes a year plus lawyers. Then you become an AR, an appointed rep. When I set up during lockdown, August 2020, the FCA were just sort of ground to a halt. So to even get an appointed rep license, I think you're looking at sort of six, nine, 12 months. And then there was just a quicker solution of just becoming a trading name of a bigger firm, commercially identical to an appointed rep, but just gets you to market within a week. So yeah, it's a, 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 sort of a bit of a creative way around it. But yeah, very similar to an appointed rep kind of kind of license. Yeah, and I I don't want to say that this is the route that people should go down, but I think when people hear what you've said, where it's almost like they're not under their own license or they don't have regulatory control or something like that, it kind of unnerves them when I don't think it necessarily should. So can you talk about what it's been like in general or just why you went, why you chose to go down that route beyond the sort of reasons that you mentioned already? And has doing this things this way cause any problems right like do you look at it and go actually maybe it would have been a better idea to get my own license and go through a longer process even if it was a bit pricier um 
No, I, I genuinely, I think this is the most efficient route to market. And I know a lot of bigger firms can't get their head around the idea that they don't have their own license in-house, that they're not the regulated entity. But as a as a cost, cost measure and efficiency, I found outsourcing it just so much better. Um, you pay sort of a minimum monthly ticket of a few thousand pounds, let's say, um, which is cheaper than having your own regulatory license and employing your own in-house compliance team and your own sort of offices and, and so forth. Um, so I, I think more people should be looking down this route. Yeah, eventually, if you get so big and you, you want to be your own regulated entity, you can look at that at a later stage. But for the first three to five years, to just pay away a small percentage of your commercial revenue for your regulatory licensing, I think makes complete sense because you, you'd probably pay away about the same percentage to run your own in-house compliance team anyway. So why take on your own in-house risk, outsource the risk as well? Because if anything goes wrong, it's on their license, not you. Um, so I, I thought it made complete sense. But yeah, so some firms still struggle to get their head around that, but each their own, I suppose. So one of the things I also find interesting about Mito is just that you have a full suite of products. So what I mean by that for anyone listening is, you know, a lot of brokers say they're multi-asset when actually what they mean is they've got CFTs uh, on lots of lots of different assets, which is, you know, it's not really the same thing. Uh, so, you know, you have options, futures, and you have CFTs, obviously, and stocks and shares and so on. The, the question I have that about that really is like, I think, one, have you, again, can you talk a bit about the appetite you've had for options? Just because I think that's a product we're going to see more of uh, in markets that really have been more CFD oriented uh, in the past couple of decades. Um, the other question is, I think, you know, mo- I think a lot of people have this perception that adding those products is really for larger firms, right? But like, obviously, you're quite a small company, you've managed to do it. Um, can you talk about about like, how it's benefited you? Because I think a lot of people from again, from a CFD world, kind of don't see the 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 benefit of it. I so I also struggle sometimes to see the benefits of having certain products, or you know, I just think it's, it doesn't really fit together, or whatever the case may be. So, how has that side of things panned out for you? Is it kind? Of, is it difficult to be a bit of like a jack of all trades? Yeah, the, I think there is like an air of I don't know what to say, like a bit more sophistication around options because it's a more complex derivative. Whereas, I think the the CFD market has sort of been abused by a lot of retail clients. And I think anyone who's probably in broking or has started out trading, we all start out on a very similar path. We sign up to a spread betting app that has red and white colors, you know, blow up our account once or twice. And if you make it past that stage, then you sort of get into the more sophisticated stuff and so forth. In relation to the product lineup, we use sort of various third-party providers to bring it all together. So I'm not there tallying up trade reporting at 4.30 every day because, I, I mean, I'd literally die. <laughs> and I'd have to employ a whole team of sort of settlement agents and, and so forth. So, no, we, we use, we out, you know, we, we very much work on an outsourcing model. Find people who are fantastic or specialists in that area. Find the best. They sort of take a small cut of the commercial trade or commission um, and they will provide that product. So that's why we have um, literally everything say the only area we're lacking which i'm trying to improve on is uk funds um but that's not a huge amount of demand for that um and secondly yeah you're right it it is really rare to find somewhere that has literally everything on one platform from cfds options futures stocks fx i mean the whole shebang um 
and it's it, I just gen, I just generally find when I'm so what our business we, we get it through financial institutions who need a brokerage outlet and I'll give you an example that could be a pension administrator their underlying pension schemes they have say all these people that want to be able to trade and invest in equities but then they also want to have access to telephone dealing or they also want to have access to options trading which you can do within a you know SAS pension for instance so when they're sort of shopping around the market when you have that whole suite of products um it just makes it so much easier so anything they request go yep got it telephone dealing fine you want it cheap done oh you want options got that as well and it just becomes just a simple straight through process rather than sort of having to make excuses of like oh we don't have options but you know we'll, we'll, we'll try and add it later in the year and so forth so yeah having the full suite of products was really important to me um because you can just sort of be open to any line of business really um i'll give you an example last summer Mitter Markets, we were in advanced talks to take on the client book of a distressed broker. I'll say that much. They're based in London. Um, and the you know the, the deal was only really approved and signed off by the FCA uh, because we had the whole suite of products. We could you know cater for the whole client book. Sadly, it fell through at the last minute because they had a, a side book of clients, which was a complete mess, and we couldn't audit it. But um in theory you know it, it really helped our case and um stood us in, in good stead as a sort of follow-up to that you know you say you've got the full suite of stuff and and from what you've said it seems like you have but i'm curious if there's like you know you do just have demand ac- across the board for them because i think if you look at say i don't know if, if you look at say hargreaves Lansdowne, which is maybe a better comparison with you than or like i don't know yeah so let's say hargreaves Lansdowne, right um they have never, to my, as far as I can tell, really gone in hard in terms of trying to offer stuff like op- options. They have a, I think they have a white label for CFDs, which is this IG. I'm surprised group. they even have that, if I'm honest with you, to even be sort of associated with that dirt on the side of the road. But yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so that is, um, uh, yeah. Like, I'm curious if there's, firstly, if there's been any kind of, is there any kind of negative side to that in terms of like, I don't know, people don't like that you have them. Uh, and then also just just in general, what the sort of appetite for them is like. I mean, would you say the bulk of your business is is pure stockbroking and you know just standard equities dealing, mm. or do you is it kind of spread across everything? It really is a, a proper spread across everything. So when we we started out, I obviously had a, a legacy client book, and they were very much day traders, CFDs, direct stock borrow, you know, just leverage without a CFD and options. Um, and that was was great, but as the business is maturing, we're opening up to more pension administrators and stuff like that. So it's, it is evolving into more of a traditional stockbroking model. But even within that, there there is growing demand for options. So it seems like we've gone from just leverage, straight leverage futures, CFDs, and direct stock borrowing to just stock and options. That's very much the way the business is heading. Um, and it's it's just kind of interesting. As well, because if you if you look at say how the market perceives the firms, if you look at say CMC and IG, they trade around sort of six seven times earnings. Go to the other end of it, and you've got Hargreaves and St James Place. They trade at sort of eleven or twelve times earnings. So it's funny how the, the market really values that sort of more stickier business where you don't have this repetition of sort of I call it like the treadmill type of business model where client on boards. Hopefully they make money. There's going to be cases where they blow up their account client leaves you find another client he's just on that treadmill 
But now we're moving into sort of more traditional stockbroking, uh, working with pension administrators, and it's much stickier business. And actually, the account sizes are significantly bigger. So I think end of last year, average account size was 20-ish thousand pounds, which is really good. Now with these sort of, we're heading to more pension accounts, it's more like sort of 200,000 pounds. So they're, they're a bit further and far between, but, you know, much bigger accounts, more sustainable business, um, and, and yeah, they stick around for a long time. So yeah, I, hopefully we're sort of going towards the more SJP and Hargreaves Lansdowns of the world. Yeah. Yeah. No, I th- I've always, I've always found that really interesting because what I, and this is again, I don't want to get sidetracked, but if you look at CMC's valuation, they actually have a stockbroking business, yeah. which was as big as AJ Bell's was wow. like eight years ago, yeah. but the value it, so they have the standalone stockbroking businesses that is, you know, as big as that. And then they have this huge, uh, you know, obviously spread betting uh, CFD business yeah. as well, but the valuation is way lower. I mean, I think there's other reasons for that as well. But again, don't want to fall, <laughs> fall, fall too far down that yeah. rabbit hole. Um, so, so that's it. You've, you've actually touched on something again there that's kind of interesting, in which I don't know too much about, which is uh, the pension side. Mm. Can you can you talk about like so so what exactly is that? Is that where you have say, I don't know, if like off the top of my head, you know, if you have a local council pension fund or something like that, I think that's a that's a thing, and then they will just dump their money with you not is that how it works right so yeah what happened um some point early middle well about spring last year i was approached by a stats pension administrator and that's a stats is very similar to a sip except you can put uh property in there and i think there's more flexibility so you can put both your rental properties in there and you can have an investing equity portfolio and you can trade options wonderful and they were literally kind of stuck they said we we can't go with this broker because they have a minimum account size of two hundred thousand pounds can't go with that broker because the they can't provide us the portfolio data valuation through a plugin which we can can't go with that place because they don't provide options and it sort of harks back to that original point of having the full suite of products and sort of technology solutions to be able to work with these institutions so the pension administrator said, fantastic you've got everything we need we've got heaps of these SaaS pension schemes they're, they're generally sort of one to two person schemes um have run a business their whole life could be a car dealership a plumbing shop and they've got now their own pension and they want to have access to just equity investing model portfolios which we've just rolled out and options trading so just a perfect fit so i'm not in any way shape or form just trading tens hundreds of millions of pounds of sort of local government money you know in my <laughs> global equity growth portfolio um it's just sort of one or two person schemes generally 50 plus quite wealthy individuals and they just need a stockbroking outlet and not and the pension administrator for them i just make sure that they have complete high visibility of the valuations on a daily basis and and stuff like that so they can make sure that their clients the schemes are remaining compliant and that's all they need okay cool that's uh that's interesting i mean for reference for for someone listening uh sip is or sip or sas that that tim was mentioning that's kind of like uh i guess like a i think in the u.s they call it like a 401 yeah yeah it's like a kind of tax efficient account yeah you can use to invest um okay but that no that's that's all really uh that's all really cool i think that's a very very different business model than what i was actually expecting or or was aware that you're doing which is which is great um and so so uh i'm you know i'm curious moving on again like from from the perspective of I'm thinking of someone listening to this who's like thinking of starting a broker. Yeah. I'm just curious if you have like 
on the the thing, like I mentioned before, the thing that always struck me working at a stockbroker and even now at like a asset management type business yeah. is just how cumbersome the operational stuff is. So is there anything that you've come into it with and like even accounting for the fact that you're effectively you know, using this other company's brand and license and so on, you're, you're outsourcing quite a lot. Is there any stuff which has just really surprised you in terms of like how much work it has taken to to kind of get set up like oh. unexpected sort of back-end operational type stuff that the end user just wouldn't really see jesus like it i if anyone listening to this is you know some young upshot starter who wants to maybe set up their own program to one day i'll, I'll tell you honestly don't <laughs> I've, I've never worked so hard for the last three years and made such little money because when you're just a stockbroker, you have one job, and your one job is to bring in client inflow. They will trade. You make revenue. You make a bonus. You paid a sort of a salary, and it's, and it's lovely. And I genuinely thought it was just going to be some sort of straight-through, easy transition. And, and I'm, not, I'm not really forecasting that my emails are just going to get just going to crash like once a week or the website needs updating or that I'm having to now deal with the regulatory umbrella firm asking me compliance questions. I had to put like together a whole huge report. Yes. About who are the clients, which countries they come from. That's why I know there's 38 countries we deal with. Um, what percentage are dealing with CFDs? What percentage are doing this? And it's like, yeah. And, and, and also, so you're not just, you know, a stockbroker. You're having to be now someone who is trying to get free PR. You're, having to be some guy who talks on TikTok, you're having to be a um, a brand representative, you're having to sort of go on podcasts, and you're having to also run a book of several hundred clients at the same time. Well, yeah, so I think you get the idea. It's it's very full on. And not only that, I've, I've kind of absolutely done myself because I, I wanted this to be the absolute creme de la creme service. So we are, yeah. you can phone in from 8 a.m. till 9 p.m., Monday to Friday, and UK, US trading hours. And I think there's only two days of the year where both America and the UK is closed. One of those is Christmas Day and one other sort of random bank holiday. So technically, I only get two days off a year. So yeah, if you think about doing it, don't. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Well, I'll give you a call. Uh, just like, Maybe I'll set up some kind of auto call yeah. to, to, to troll you. Um, okay. um, actually, on that, on that point, and this is another kind of quick question, like I completely agree with something you said earlier, which is, you know, I increasingly find that when I use some kind of tech service that is ostensibly, you know, a better quality service and more efficient, all yeah. stuff, um, it's just a nightmare to use. So what I mean by that is I think that loads of loads of tech companies have effectively outsourced a job that people used to do to you. <laughs> like if you're so if you're if you're yeah. booking a holiday, right? Like in the past, you might go to a um, you know travel agent and they would find the flight, they'd find the hotel, all that stuff. And yeah. Like, now it's like, well, you just have to do that yourself. And actually, you know, that's an example where I don't mind it so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, but like, or, you know, similar thing. Recently, I had to call my energy company and I had to spend an hour yeah. just wait, just waiting on the phone yeah. just to get through. Yeah. And, and the entire time I was doing it, um, they're like, like every option to press a button, they're like, you know, you can go to our website <laughs> and you can find this. And I'm like, I know that message. Website. Yeah. Yeah. Buttons, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know I can go to your, your website. I don't want to. I want to <laughs> uh, and so I, I do, again, this is one of those things where I wonder if there's this sort of almost like 
you know, we talk about tech so much, but I sometimes wonder if there may be a bit of like a backlash against that kind of thing where people go like, you know, what, I'm fed up of dealing with a computer. I actually want to be able to just chat with someone and deal yeah. with the stuff. Oh, um, completely. Yeah. Um, and I, I think I'm with you. I think technology is fantastic. Everything we do backs onto um, amazing technology and liquidity and stuff like that. And it works a dream. However, if you're you know putting a chart together, you're not quite sure how the setting works. It is so inefficient to then outsource that to either a call center or some sort of chat bot because, A, the client's not going to get the answer they need. They'll end up frustrated. If you actually have a sort of a, a very highly qualified expert who's on hand, just go, yep, that's the answer. Cheers. See you later. It's done. Five seconds. Problem solved. And actually, yeah, yeah I, I think it's really efficient. But at the same time, it kind of does, strangely enough, sometimes create loads of inefficiencies because yeah. I could do the work of 20 frequently asked questions or chatbots or call centers by just knowing everything, you know, and being good at my job. So not Mr. Brain, but yeah, if you just have someone who is expert and qualified and good at what they do, they can sort of cover the work of 20 inefficient people, if you know what I mean. So yeah, and that's a hybrid model of it's all technology, but the moment you need something, we're on hand as well. So I I quite like that. Yeah. But would you say, and so would you say there's been any sort of, um, trying to think how to phrase the question but let, like if i think of say someone my parents age they're probably quite accustomed and used to picking up the phone and having a chat with someone i would say if you speak to someone who say like i'm t- i'm almost 30 so my age and maybe a bit younger or a mm-hmm. bit older they've become so used to just chatting on uh, you know whatsapp or whatever yeah at the same time you have a bit of a culture of like people random people calling you can be a scam mm. um so i'm curious if they if that demographic um, is maybe like more reticent to speak with you or like to, to kind of do phone dealing and things like that. Or if that's, or if that's not the case, or if there's like, like, so someone I spoke to about this recently was like, when he speaks with people who are, let's say my sort of age, they will initially a lot of the time be a bit like reticent to do it. They do they, whatever, like they don't seem comfortable on the phone. Yep. Um, but after a couple of minutes, they suddenly realize, oh shit, like this is actually so much better than, doing their FAQs and stuff like that? Yeah. Um, Yeah, so generally what happens with maybe some of the younger users, they will will just use the platform. They won't really contact you. But then the moment they run into an issue, it'll be like, oh, why wasn't my order filled? Because they they might not understand why the price isn't being filled because they've put a wrong limit price. And they get like an immediate response from an actual trader like, oh, wow, that's incredible. And they, they, yeah, Yeah. and then they're like, I didn't know this was kind of available. Um, so yeah, at first they they are a bit tentative to sort of you know use the the more personalised service. It's there if they need it, but once they do use it and they run into an issue, yeah, they they do love it. Yeah, nice. Okay, uh, so so again, one of the things that you talked about uh, was sort of like I suppose taking on having to be a bit of a jack of all trades yeah. versus oh. when you're employed by a company. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm curious, right? Like you're in a you're in an industry that's incredibly competitive. Mm. I think your job your job might have been a, made a bit easier in like 2020, 2021, just because there were probably a lot of clients coming to you rather than the other way around. Lockdown was incredible. Uh, yeah, yeah, but but um, I'm I wonder if that's like I'm just curious how. Yeah, I'm guessing you don't have huge amounts of money to blow on marketing spend stuff like that. Um, just what that has been like in general, and how how you've kind of gone about it. Yeah, it's, that's, that's a good question because we, we, we have pretty much zero marketing spend. And even if we did, I don't want to say it's pointless, but if I'm now going into the realm of adverts and stuff like that, 
you know, Mitten Markets could be the best brokerage in the world. But no, nobody knows about us. Now, if I'm going into sort of the ad space world and spending heaps of money on that, I'm now up against your, your St. James's places, your Hargreaves, Lansdowns, your, your IGs, and I, I can't compete with them on ad spend or, or brand recognition, which is fine. I'm not trying to. Um, so that I definitely have to be way more creative. Um, and that could be, you know, you, I think you probably saw there was an article in the mirror a few weeks ago about me sort of working remotely in Spain and stuff like that, just free PR. It could be me on TikTok. TikTok, sometimes the videos get 40, 50,000 views a go, and that's completely free um, coming on podcasts like this. So, yeah, I have to be really quite creative with with the things that I do. And, um, and that's generally why I don't really try and spend any money um going straight to consumer, I will work with the institutions like the pension administrators uh, who are maybe have become unstuck and can't find a solution. So it's kind of B to B to C rather than B to C. Um, and that's kind of how I've found a groove, I suppose, of acquiring clients. And it's so far working quite well. Could be more, but it could be a lot less. <laughs> yeah, nice. Um, on the, on the uh, TikTok thing, so I've, uh, you know, stalked your TikTok prior to this <laughs> just to do some practice. I think, no, but I think, People have, like, definitely I, even having seen your thing, have kind of, like, a negative perspective of that channel. I think it's seen as a bit, like, let's say, lowbrow. Yeah. I don't, know yeah. If there's, I don't know if there's, like, a highbrow social media, but definitely, like, more lowbrow than other social media sites. But yours actually, like, I would say, you know, it's very good. And the other thing is that, that I find interesting, and I appreciate this might be a weird thing to say, but, like, if you look at the comments on a lot of, say, like, trading YouTube videos. Yeah. You know, like like the, the broker will put out. Like I was looking at one quite big broker yesterday. Uh, they have like you know two three thousand views on some video on whatever it mm. might be, and the, you can tell from the comments that it's just most people watching it are like let's say not high quality client that you necessarily want, right? Well, Whereas when I look at some algorithm comments and stuff, yeah, that that kind of thing. Whereas if I go on yours, like there's some where you look at it and you'll be like, okay, there's someone who's talking about buying a house in Spain yeah. or like how they have a second property there. I'm like, okay, if you're able to do that, either you're young and you've got quite a bit of dosh mm-hmm. or, you know, you're older and you also have quite a bit of money. Yeah which is, again, exactly the sort of client that people are looking for. So I don't know how much pickup there is in terms of, like, you say you get X thousand number of views. Yeah. But is that, like, as a channel, has that worked well? I mean, do you end up picking up clients from it? Or is it just, like, being good for, you know, branding, getting people, getting your name out there? Yeah, so it's been really good. Um, So first and foremost, this myth about it's only young people that watch TikTok. I look at the analytics and I think sort of 30, 40% of the audience is 40 and above. So it definitely is hitting the older generation. It's such a fast growing app. And yeah, it starts out by them being shown a few clips. It's only a matter of time before they bloody download the app and start watching themselves. Um, it's at first, it, you know, I've been doing these videos for ages. It did absolutely bugger all in terms of clients signing up and stuff like that because it was just an execution only trading service. Now that we're running out with the model portfolio service and I can now talk a bit more openly about something which is completely unique to me, completely unique to Mitter Markets, people are like, yeah, now there is quite a lot of inquiries coming in because they're like, we know we love Tim. His execution-only service is a bit bland because it's just, you know, I could do that with Hargreaves or ING or whoever. But actually now he's running his own best ideas strategy, I want in on that because I've, I've been watching this guy for months and yada, yada, yada. So yeah, for the sort of model portfolios, it works really well, but it works really well for 
just other PR. People will see it and then... I might have Sky News call me and tell we'd need comment on the on Etsy share price. Or, for instance, the journalist who ran the story on me working remotely in Spain for a few months, that came from, oh, we've seen your TikToks. Um, or maybe this, maybe you start up by seeing my TikTok. So it seems to help for other sort of PR and marketing channels, which are which which is incredible. That's that's what I love. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. And it's the point you made there about being older people. I mean, the only people I know who actually use TikTok are... Uh, my you know my future mother-in-law yeah. who must be uh you know, mid 60s and uh someone else who's also i think 60 yeah. so they're the, and like not i don't know anyone my age who, who uses it it seems to be like a kind of split of like super young people yeah and then and then um you know kind of like middle-aged people bizarrely yeah. i don't know how that happens <laughs> yeah, um, okay so, yeah. so so i i don't want to take too much of your time because uh, you know you're much busier than i am but um like I, I suppose my one of my my penultimate question would be like, yeah, you know, if if you were speaking to someone who is thinking of starting either let's say like CFD shop or stockbroker like yourself, are there any really tough things that kind of surprise you or things that you were like just completely came out of left field where you're like, oh. man, I did not expect that at all. I tell you I, what, it, I wish I'd, I wish someone had told me about that before. Yeah, I, I'd say. So the hardest thing is to find a way to attract clients, to get an inflow of client inquiries and applications. Once you achieve that, 10 years ago, it's then straightforward to application, sign up, they start trading, revenue is created, A to B, lovely. Now, it's this onboarding process in the middle and the compliance around it and the severe sort of advanced due diligence that goes into sort of document collecting and, and stuff like that is I'd say the biggest hurdle now. Um, I, I, I spend hours every day sort of sending across passports and then it's being rejected because, oh, one millimeter is cut out or they've got their thumb in the pitch when they're taking a photo of it and stuff like that. So actually it's the, right. I think it's the onboarding, which is the biggest challenge and, and the compliance around that. So yeah, it's, um, that was way difficult or way, way trickier than I, than I thought. So yeah, finding a, an inflow of, or a way to have an inflow of clients is, is the biggest challenge, but also it's the, it's the compliance is so strict nowadays. Yeah. Interesting. So I spoke to the CEO of Wonder Broker two months ago and he was like, you get to a point in this position where you realize it's a, it's a bit different model to yours, but he was like, the only thing that, the only things that ultimately really matter are like onboarding and payments and nothing else like that. Those are, those are the things that you need to sort out. Yeah. And if you have them, then you're like, you know, 80, 90% of the way there. Yeah. Um, okay. So to finish off, I know you're, you're raising money at the moment. Um, I wonder if you can talk a bit about like what what's going on there, like what the plans are and really like what the ultimate vision for the company is. Because I think mm. it's not it's not exactly what most people who are probably listening to this. It's not exactly the same industry. So like, yeah, if you can talk about like, you know, do you want to be the HL or do you want to be like an IG mm. or a Saxo Bank or maybe something completely different? Um, that's a good question. Uh, so, yes, we are raising. And the reason we're raising um it's kind of getting to the point where so to begin with we were just very much bootstrapping i took out a loan for fifty thousand pounds and obviously your growth is going to be very muted because there's you just don't have much money to sort of hire headcount and so forth and and i think we've done a really good job of sort of doing it in the bootstrapping way if you will um now we've kind of struck up uh some really big partnerships for client referral 
the client applications are now starting to become a bit overwhelming. Um, so there's there's just growing pains, and I need more hands on deck. So, you know, like I talked about the, the biggest challenge being, or one of them being the inflow of clients, we've achieved that. We've got clear visibility of a huge pipeline of business, and we're now just struggling to service that because that we need more people to sort of process these applications. Um, so that's why we're raising money, just to literally fund the next leg of the growth story. And in terms of where do I see Mitter Market in a few years, I, you've kind of stumped me on that one because I've never really thought about it that way. I, I, I've just been sort of looking sort of one day at a time, get through it, get another partnership, get more clients. Um, and I think ultimately, I think it's the recognition of just being, you know, absolute excellence in service um, without you know, being completely ripped off, having a really low cost or, or a brokerage, which is known to be low cost, but, you know, ultra high quality. And I'd, I'm more concerned about the, the brand and the reputation and how we're perceived in the open market. And when that's all good, the revenue and the business will naturally follow, you know. So it's just sort of maintaining super standards, really, I suppose. Yeah. No, I think that's I think that's a completely legit answer. That was a bit of a cheesy question. Yeah. <laughs> I would say I think that, no, I think that's a completely, and um you know, I was, I was thinking about this before we were talking, actually, like before we came online, where I think if you look at, like like I said, a lot of people, I think, that definitely on the CFD side come into the, come into the sector. Again, it's a bit different just because of like the economics of scale with yeah. the business and so on. Like it's harder to, to, to like rapidly grow if you're just doing stockbroking. Yeah. But they come in, they basically come in and they just want to absolutely like be huge. They will want to get like, you know, thousands of clients, all that mm. stuff, which I completely get. Yeah. If, I think if you look at like, so if you look at IG Group, which is probably like the leader in the sector, yeah, yeah. I think it took them like 25 years to get to wow, like to, to 100 employees or whatever it is. Yeah. Like it took it really? it's, it's a it's a, really, it's a really slow burning yeah. company, right? And I I sometimes think like if you're a lot of people seem to focus on being like a huge business, whereas if they actually just focus on the things that you said and carving out like a, a bit of a niche, yeah, and then just doing it doing things well, doing things properly, then over time, yeah. you know, everything should go well. So, you know, you, you're going to smash it and it's going to be great. Yeah. And uh, you know what? Thanks very much for coming on, Tim. Well, it was really good to speak to you. And I think, yeah, really enjoyed today. Um, and uh, I'm still reading through some of your articles and stuff like that. I'm reading a really good one with uh, Juan from um, Darwin X and stuff Darwin. like that. Yeah, so who I've met, he's a really, really lovely chap. So shout out to Darwin X as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yes, yeah, absolute pleasure. And I'm uh, happy to come on any time. Yeah, good luck and good luck with the race because I, I think it's um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure you're gonna do well. Fantastic! Cheers. We'll get there eventually. See ya.